You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Many of you this morning have experienced grief. Many of you have cried out to God and said, why did you allow this to happen, Lord? Why did it work this way? This was not what I thought life would look like. If you're young, too young in here, then you're going, I haven't experienced too much, possibly. But every one of you, if you live long enough, you're gonna experience what it feels like to go through grief, affliction, grow old, and lose someone so important to you. Holidays will be different. Chairs at the table will be empty. Photographs will seem odd when everyone says, let's gather around as a family. Because someone will always be missing. Some of you know what that feels like. On March 23rd at 7.51 p.m. this year, I experienced that with the loss of one of my heroes, my father. He was diagnosed with a terminal disease six years ago. He was a God-fearing, God-believing man, and he's no longer with me. And I prayed, and I prayed that he would be healed, but it was God's will that he go home. And this morning, I want to be able to go through a topic with you that's difficult, but I hope to share some information from Scripture that each one of you will be able to glean from what I have been able to glean myself. There's a French philosopher, her name is Simone Weil, and in her book, Waiting for God, she says, suffering makes God appear to be absent. I agree with Simone. He's not, but it makes him appear that he's absent. Tim, uh, Tim Keller has a quote that he writes, when pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see not only that we are not in control of our lives, we never were. That's what wrecks us. If you don't have a theology that can speak to you in times of grief and affliction, you need a new theology. If you have a theology that works out and all you have is rainbows, as, as Tom talked about, and that's the God that you think you serve, that he keeps anything and everything bad from you, you need to go to your scripture and find a new theology within the word of God. It is tough. It is tough. I want you to watch this first video. Painted this picture of this perfect family that I have created. I had everything figured out. Um, and we were excited. And just like you should be with every pregnancy, everything was picture perfect. There was nothing to indicate that there was any trouble ahead. We didn't really want to waste a lot of time. So we had, we had Thatcher pretty quickly. Um, and it was such an incredible shift in our life and marriage. He was already a father to Aniston, and I loved seeing that. Uh, 
found out we were pregnant and our due date with Towns was exactly a month after Thatcher's second birthday. So I went into labor um, thinking we were going to end our stay at the hospital by bringing home a new little girl. You can't plan for things like this, even if you know ahead of time, but being blindsided by this picture-perfect family that I had created, just shattering. When we were in the room and the doctor looked at me before he looked at her and when we couldn't hear the heartbeat, there was that fear over his face of, I'm about to deliver the most uh, awful news. And in that moment, uh, and in the moments after being so angry at God that he didn't even allow me an opportunity to pray. Like there wasn't a space and I'm a very control, just give me a minute to fix it, tell me the problem and I will help deliver the solution. And none of that was given to me. None of that was given to me. I wasn't allowed to call my friends. I wasn't allowed to start a prayer chain. I wasn't allowed to call anybody. It was the worst news you could ever have is being delivered to you, um, and it's over. She was no longer with us Earthside, and it, it breaks you in ways you don't know you can break. And I wasn't sure how to move into the next phase of life because I didn't want to leave her behind. If his voice sounds familiar, that's my brother. That was 2020. This was during COVID, three hours before that doctor told him his daughter was gone. He was calling me on the way to the hospital saying, it's gonna be awesome. I have a baby girl wasn't God's plan. It's not what happened. It broke them. It was during COVID, folks. No pastor could visit them. No family. My brother said the toughest, quietest, darkest time was the hour he waited in there until they removed towns from the room. That's a, that's a hard reality. And he struggled with the what to, to make sense of that C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Man, is that true? We remember from Job is, 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 is God had allowed Satan to turn and twist and mess with Job's life in one way or another that is hard for us to see and understand. We see that Job writes in Job 3, for the thing that I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. I'm not at ease nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Perhaps it was after losing his children. We don't know what it was, but at that moment, whatever all of that had been taken from him, he said, the thing I never wanted to happen, happened. What's your worst fear? You know what it is. Perhaps it's already occurred. Perhaps it's happened in the last couple of years. What's the worst affliction? What's the, what's the tragedy that has occurred in your life? 
or that you're praying with everything, Lord, not that. It's a scary moment. It's a scary time. I want to provide you three points to hold on to when darkness falls. The first point I want to let you know to spend some time, and you could do a series on this for weeks, and anybody that knows me knows I could bore you to death going through it, is God is in control in our darkness. I want to tell you something. God is sovereign. He is in control. It was hard because I remember my brother saying, and he'll say later, that I didn't even know I had to pray. There was no prayer chain. You heard him say that. And I remember him asking me weeks after this had happened, Brian, why was he even allowed to get pregnant? Why did it, why couldn't we have just not gotten pregnant? I don't know. But God is in control. We read that I am God and there is none like me, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. 1 Peter 3, 17, it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. When I read if that should be God's will, that's one of those mic drop moments. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? If that should be God's will. God is fully in control. He's sovereign. He was before you got here. He will be long after you're gone. He does not take a nap. He doesn't rest. There's not a moment in his time that he walks this earth and goes, look what the devil's done. What will I now do? He's never had a moment of frustration. In James, we read this is a God that there is no shadow. Do you know what that means? That means there is nothing casting a shadow. Think of something in your life that doesn't cast a shadow. The only thing that doesn't is that which emanates the light. But my friend put a brighter light behind that light, you now have a shadow. The God of the universe casts none. That's real. When Breezy read the words of Psalm 42, it made me think about the roar of the waterfalls when she was talking about the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me, Psalm 42. We think of God, again, being sovereign, but also purposeful which is this next point. God is with you for a purpose. I want, if you've got a journal, if you've got something you write on, a cell phone, notepad, it's gonna be hard to write the whole thing down, but I'm gonna give you a heads up start. This is what I want you to do. When I call you to go through, what is it? What's the thing you fear? Loss of a child? You've already lost one? A spouse? a diagnosis, the lab results you've already had in the last couple of weeks, perhaps you're waiting on them. And it's quiet. Perhaps you've already heard those words. The cancer you have is incurable, as my friend who was a Charlotte Mecklenburg police officer was told his mom experienced six, about roughly seven months ago, bone cancer. She's gone. Three weeks after his mother passed, his older brother gone. He had a memorial service for both of them on the same day. 
See, we don't, have to, we don't have to work that out. We see it grief take place in the world all the time. And the first thing that people in this country do and throughout the world is what do we do? We try to make sense of what happened. How, how, how could this happen? This is so senseless. This doesn't make sense. But God has purpose in it. And I want you to think about what you've written down. What is that thing? I, when I call you to go through this, you will not drown in the rivers of woe. I will transform that thing into the crucible in which you become like Jesus, whose self-giving love enters the real troubles of the human condition. If this sounds a little familiar, you'll remember this is from Isaiah 43.2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Man, as a believer, what else are you gonna hold on to? What else are you gonna hold on to? And I'm reminded of the professor at a seminary, uh, I cannot recall the name of it, who had some parents come after he'd been talking about missionaries and they stopped him after the end of his talk and he said, listen, you have, you, you've gotta stop putting into the heads of these young people these ministry ideas about going out there. My two daughters are on fire for going out there to mission field and I think that's fine. But, but you see, they have to go off and get their degrees first and get a stable job and to go do this. And the professor kindly looked at him and he said, let me, let me understand this. At any given time, we're all going to die. Our eyes are closed and we're either gonna fall through a trap door through the universe into nothingness or we're gonna fall into the hands of a loving God and you want them to get a master's degree to protect them? Are you kidding me? See, God is fully in control and God is fully purposed. And when he calls you to walk through the waters, he's going to be with you. They're his waters and he'll walk with you through them. God calls us into deep water so many times. God sets a limit though on the sorrows which seem to destroy us. You saw my, my sister-in-law Jordan when she says it breaks you in ways you don't know you can be broken. If I were to ask you, how many of you in here and had you raise a hand have been broken in ways you've never thought you would have been broken, you'd raise them up. The loss of my mom, my dad, my brother, my friend, the diagnosis, divorce, she's gone, he left me, and you're broken. When Paul was starting churches, he had encountered a few difficult times. Ephesus, churches of Ephesus, surrounded by witchcraft. He had uh, in Philippi persecution going on all the time. Galatia, full of false teachers. Church of Corinth, steeped in sexual immorality. This dude was planting churches and going through the throes of it. The interesting thing is that when you read the Apostle Paul, and I love the Apostle Paul's letters, he never prays that God changes circumstances. He never prays that God rescues them out of their circumstances. I wanna be clear. It's 100% okay to be praying for God to deliver you. We're called to. And let me tell you, <laughs> my man Tommy will say the same thing and anybody else in here. If we're sick 
and we got problems, please come pray for us. Please pray, okay? Please pray that it'll go away. Please. But it's interesting. Paul doesn't do that. Tim Keller says, Paul does not see prayer as merely a way to get things from God, but as a way to get more of God himself. Prayer is a striving to take hold of God. What does God, Paul do? Paul's request to this God is, is a repeated request that they would deeply, more deeply know God. What if we prayed like that? Lord, remove this affliction, remove this disease, take this from me, please, 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 and it doesn't, and I'm on, I'm done. I cannot tell you how many prayers I was praying for my dad. Two years ago, I remember he's sitting in a chair and I remember distinctly, I was reading from this devotional book and him looking straight at me and he could still speak pretty well at that time. And he said, can I ask you something? I said, what? He said, what? What did I do to deserve this? And I'm the son talking to my dad, trying to counsel in this, and I'm listening. He said, I've always loved God. What did I do to deserve this, Brian? You went to school for this. Tell me. I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything. I just simply said, Dad, you, you did nothing. You're one of his. And we prayed. And I cried. And we prayed. The reason we prayed is my third and final point is because I, I know God hears me. He hears my prayers. He hears your prayers. God hears you in the darkness. I don't care how far away you think he is when you're in your pain and your affliction. If you're a child of God, my friend, he hears you. Like Simone Weil says, it's gonna feel like He's not there. He is. He is. There's a verse that often people are given. It's in 1 Peter 4, 19. It's a, in the Western world, we have this way of handling suffering. We like to sterilize it, take it to the mortuary, clean it up, make it perfect. Everybody say some nice things. Keep it at a distance. We're done is, this, is the funeral over? Send, make certain you touch base with the person that's lost or the grief or the cancer, whatever it is. Let's just move through it. In the Christian westernized way, what we do is chin up. Okay, Sarah, Sarah, sovereign, God's sovereign, deal with it. We, we'll be given the verse, and it, it made me think of it, this one, in 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while they're doing good. We hear that, and many times it's misapplied. We'll take the verse, we'll take that section of that, of that scripture, and we'll say, hey, God is sovereign. Buck up. Live well. Live as a testimony to God. Now hush up and go. Go read your devotional. Back to, back to stop it. Enough with the grief. The Western world likes it that way, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk you through this a little differently. You see the word entrust, and those that are in my class in the morning, they know I like to really drill down into verses, and I could, 
that's probably not a good thing. I could spend too much time on this verse. We're just gonna take one word in this verse. And the Greek word here for entrust is to put into the care or protection of someone to set before. Remember when Tim Keller said, we realized we never were in control? You get to a point in your life through affliction or pain or news or the doctor's note, or you're putting the flowers on your spouse's grave. And you really, really believed y'all were gonna be retiring together. See, that wasn't the way it was supposed to work. And I really, really, really know what that can feel like when plans go a different direction. We entrust. That word entrust, I'm gonna have you read that verse totally different than you've ever thought about reading it before. Deal, that deal with it, be strong, that suffer well or hush, no. David's cry we read in Psalms 28 is great. This little section, to you, Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me. If you don't answer me, I will die. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy, my cry for help to you. See, I love how Breezy was getting to the last section of that in Isaiah, and she begins to break, and as she's reading scripture, some of you would begin to break, because see, that's how the word of God works. We tend to read this verse and go, to you, Lord, I call my rock, do not be deaf to me. If you do not answer me, I will die. Let me tell you, David's not praying like that. He's going, Lord, if you don't answer me, I got nothing. Where are you? Please hear me. You ever had that prayer before? Yes, you have. And if you haven't, one day you're going to. And I wanna give you this anchor to hold on to. These are not the cries of someone. These are not the cries of someone that's just kind of going through calm valley. Don't read it that way. When he is reading, do not be deaf to me. If you don't answer me, I will die. When you hear that, you'll see that he is committing. He's going, I need this. I need you to hear my pleas. I need you to hear what I'm saying. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. He, re he continues later on in 35. One, but when we read into your hands, I commit my spirit, that sounds a little, a little bit familiar. Sounds like something else that we've heard when we think of that word. See, commit and entrust, they're the same Greek word. They're the same one. So look here, Peter is intentionally causing, calling us to mimic the pattern of Jesus' experience in affliction. Now you're reading 1 Peter differently. For now, when we look at it, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust or commit, Father, into my hands, I commit my spirit. Jesus prayed and then he died. Lord, if this cup may be passed from me, I ask that you do it, but Father, not my will, but yours. When God says, fear not, I want you to see this difference. He's not trying to get you to a relative absence of fear and just calm down. Sometimes that's the way we can read it. He's not saying, 
God is not removing the deep waters we walk through. Man, how we wish he did. It's not what's going on. He doesn't say, fear not, I'll remove anything and everything that bothers you in this life. No worries. He loves us too much to leave us there. See, we would create a God like that. That would be the God we would, we would create. The God loves us too much to go. He's not, he's not shallow like that. It's a different God. When he says in Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Does anybody see though what, what, what's going on here? It didn't get removed. It's not fear not. I won't let any of these bad things in life ever touch you. Fear not, I'll never take your child before you, parent. Fear not, you'll never get a knock on the door and it's the police and your teenage daughter's not coming home. No, that's not what God's saying. He said, I'm with you. And this is what's wonderful. We wanna go, why does God do it this way? Lord, why not another way? What does this do? Why did I go through this? Why did, why did, why did the affliction take place that way? In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, English teachers out here will freak as they see how many times he uses the word in yellow. <laughs> but that Paul, is, it's wonderful how he does this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, guys, I now know what it feels like to watch my father pass from this earth into the next, into my home. I know what it's like to change him, to clean him, to pray with him, with my wife, who was with my side almost every morning that he was there, with caregivers. I know what it's like to wonder, is this the moment, the baby monitor? I don't hear him. I know what that feels like to get up in the middle of the night and run in and see. Was it now? Is it now? I know what it's like to live like that for the last two and a half weeks of his life. One morning, I walked in. And I could tell that he was in the throes and pains of wanting, wanting something that I couldn't put my finger on. I said, Dad, what is it? What's wrong? And he says, I just wanted to see Jesus today. I just wanted to go see Jesus. He was stuck between heaven and earth and he couldn't get into any one of them. And for whatever reason, God was, that was where it was at. And some of you in the room, you know what that's like too. You've had a loved one. You're like, Lord, heal him or take him home. I know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to lose a child. Some of you in here, you know what that's like. Some of you know what it's like to be having a spouse that has left you for someone else, a marriage that is break, broken. And for all of us, God has used the affliction that is in our life 
to comfort. I want you to see this final video. Looked at me in the hospital and it's a moment of our marriage that I will remember forever and tell everyone who will listen that he decided in that moment that our legacy, the legacy of our daughter towns would not be the end of our marriage. It would not be sadness that we were going to wake up every day and choose joy. I think the one thing I have learned about grief and as we walk through it is that grief is not linear. It's not a, I grieve this percent for day one and then this percent for day two, three, four, and five. You know, grief is all over the map. We're grieving her as a person, but we're also grieving all of the moments that we will miss. It is all the moments that we were planning for. It is looking at a calendar and thinking her second birthday is here. I wonder what color hair she would have, or I wonder what her first word would have been. Towns passing into Jesus's arms before she even opened her eyes was the hardest thing that I've ever felt, but it's also helped me to understand that she's okay because our eternities will be together and it's made me long for eternity in a way that I had never even considered before. That you can feel grief and joy simultaneously which is something that we learned when we found out that we were pregnant with Charlie. We had to go through a pregnancy experience that was most unique. It was joy wrapped in fear. Because every time there was anything wrong with her, a headache or a feeling, is that a sign? Is that something we should be looking for? And so it was nine months of anxiety for both of us in different ways. But the moment that she arrived, she has brought us so much joy and so much healing. And I read this quote right after we lost Towns that just said, when wounds are healed by love, the scars are beautiful. And I think that is Charlie in this world. She has helped heal some of our wounds with love because she is just little tiny sunshine. <laughs> I think to further illustrate the joy of, 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 of Charlie is when we delivered Towns, um, we, the midwife that was there, the doctor that was there, obviously we had to go through the same processes. She had to have an epidural, we had to prep, she had to push, she had to go through all of that pain um, with no joy at the end of it. The reverse of that is that when we delivered Charleston, the same doctor that told us that that uh, Towns wasn't with us was the doctor that was there. The same midwife that told us the legacy of our mayor or the 50-50 the, the chance of us being split up was a midwife that delivered 
uh, Charlie. So the same brokenness that was there when Towns was delivered was there to experience a joy. And the midwife was making Jordan um, laugh and telling her some jokes in the delivery. And literally, Jordan started laughing and Charlie came out. (laughs) She literally was laughing. Every moment that you can turn grief into a thankfulness and an opportunity to appreciate life in a different way, that's where God's healing is. That's the comfort that Paul speaks of. So what do you fear? You know what it is. You know what it is. You know what the fear is that sets inside of you. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are rare, that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There is a hymn that I love. It's on the uh, firm foundation. And this hymn, when I think of it, it is built on two different verses. The firm foundation of God stands, having the seal, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. And also Isaiah 43, one through two where we read, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. I want that to sink in for a second. I have called you by my name. You are mine. It's very similar to when Adam saw Eve in the garden. Woman, you are mine. That original Hebrew language, that's mine. I want that. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. There is a movie, one of my faves. Shawshank Redemption. In the movie, Andy Dufresne, and Red become close if you've ever seen the movie. And, and, and Andy Dufresne, he gets his release early. And Red, he's waiting on his, and one day he leaves. Andy gives him instructions. He says, I want you to go to this point. You're gonna find this long stone rock wall. There's a tree at the very back. You'll notice it. Go along the wall to the back, and there's gonna be a, a dark stone. Looks like it should not be there. I want you to lift the stone up. And that kept Red going. What'd he do? He took a ride out there, jumped off the truck, took a hitchhike, goes down there, opens the stone, finds it in there in the box, and he opens a letter. Red sits down on the ground to read it. 
and it says red, never forget, hope is a good thing. It's maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. On March 23rd, my father passed. My brother's daughter passed in April 2020. You have loved ones who have passed. If my friends, you are in Christ, I can assure you of this, of the pastor, Pastor Barnhouse, Dr. Barnhouse, was a pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church. He said to his kids as they left the funeral of his wife, he looked at his children and a tractor trailer was coming by the car and the shadow of the tractor trailer cast over the car as they drove. His kids are sobbing in the back as their mom is gone. So what can I say? And it hit him. Kids, would you rather be hit by the truck that passed us or the shadow that passed over us? And they looked at him and said, Dad, the shadow. When you go through an affliction or you pass from this life into the next, because one day every single person in this room, your heart will stop beating, you will grow cold, and you will die. But the moment your eyes close, for those who are in Christ, you awake in glory. The shadow went over you, not the truck. There's two kinds of people in this room. There are those who know Christ, like in this morning service, I prayed with a couple of people who they know Christ, but they're in the throes of pain and affliction right now. Perhaps that's one of you. Perhaps that's many of you. You've gotten the news. The doctor told you something. You're still struggling and reeling from a loss. You still awake at night and feel that side of the bed and it's empty. When people say, let's gather for a family photo, you dread it because we're somebody that should be in the photo that's no longer in it anymore. And you just need to plead to God. And you need to be in these altars and say, Lord, hear my voice. Because if you don't hear me, I'm gonna die. God hears you. There's a second group of you in this room, possibly. Maybe there's a few of you, you don't know who Christ is. You don't know who Christ is. You have no relationship with Christ. But I'm gonna tell you one thing that's very sobering and one thing that is great news. Number one, I assure you, you have absolutely no hope beyond the grave. Your best life is truly right now. You got nothing to look forward to. But now here's the good news. For those who wanna have a life in Christ, you want to be saved, you want to know him. God is calling and he wants to say, you are mine. And you can have hope. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time and this gathering. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to meet with all that are here, that have shown up with their own pain and affliction and trials that they're going through. Father, if there are those that are in this room that want to know you, that Father, they would come to the altar to know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they would come to this altar 
they would kneel. That, Father, we could send those to pray with them and pray over them and help them to have a relationship with you. And, Father, for those who are saved that are in the throes of affliction and pain, and, Father, I also pray that they would flood these, these altars and plead to you and say, Lord, I need you. If you don't answer, I'll die. Let them come to you, one and all, and we find our refuge in the sovereign God. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.